John chapter 4 and verse 1. Now when Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman is at the well, and she is having issues. She's got problems. She needs water, hence she's at the well. And in the conversation with Jesus, you see she's got other problems. She's got a past. She's trying to figure out this religion thing, and she is in a tight spot, and she is looking for problems for solutions to her problems. Today, people are seeking answers. People are seeking answers, and so they are trying all kinds of different things to solve their problems. People are seeking answers to their financial problems. And you can get a pretty good group of people together if you put together an educational program to teach people how to solve their financial problems. People are seeking answers to their family problems. Perhaps there's divorce, perhaps there's conflict, perhaps there's a child that has gone 
astray and people are seeking answers to that problem. People are seeking answers to today's political problems. How do we solve our political crisis today? People are seeking answers to today's economic problems. How do we solve the issue with inflation, with the job market? How do we stop COVID from spreading? People are seeking answers to problems. And they are also seeking validation and justification. People seek validation and justification of their past actions. They seek validation and justification of their beliefs. There's a saying that people don't want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. People are looking for validation, for justification. They want validation and justification for what they're currently doing. Their present actions. That's what people want. They want to come to church and they want me to preach a sermon on how to raise godly kids so they can get their kids back in line. They come to church and they want me to preach on marriage, on marital health so that they can save their marriage. They want me to preach on when it's okay to get a divorce so they can justify themselves in going down to the courthouse and filing the papers. They want me to preach what they believe. They don't come to hear what the Bible says, but rather they want me to preach what they think the Bible says. People seek the answers to these temporary issues. They seek validation for who they currently are. And as John demonstrates to us in the gospel according to John who Jesus Christ is, he tells us and demonstrates to us in chapter 4 that the answer to these needs, the, the salvation to your problems, the answer to your problems, the validation and justification that you are looking for, Jesus is the answer to those needs. Amen. There is a movie called, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And these escaped convicts jump on this, the, the handcart that they, that they use on the railroad tracks or that they did back then. I haven't seen one of those. They have pickup trucks now. They're electric now? Okay. Back in the 30s when this movie took place, you had this hand pump. And have y'all ever tried to move one of those? It's hard. Okay. And so they jump on this with this man who is blind, who appears to be some sort of a spiritual prophet. And he tells them, he says, you will find a great treasure. Y'all remember this scene? You will find a great treasure, though it will not be the treasure that you seek. Too often... The answers that we are seeking are temporary, earthly answers. We're looking for that treasure. That treasure of that job that will provide the finances that will solve all of our financial problems. We're looking for the treasure. That one argument we can use on our wives so that she will come to the realization that we are right and she will do whatever we say. Or if you're the wife, you want that treasure to use on your husband. I mean, this, this, that blade cuts both ways, okay? We are looking for the treasure. That Bible verse that says that what I think is the gospel truth and God backs me up on this. That's not the treasure we're going to find. Jesus provides us real, tangible, and eternal answers to these needs. And to demonstrate this, the Apostle John introduces us to the woman at the well. And in this passage, we see the woman at the well, and we see her needs. 
And we're going to find as we dig into what she says and the heart that these words are coming from, she's not that much different than we are. That's right. We're going to see who Christ is. He is different than we are. And we're going to see how Jesus Christ is the answer. Let's take a look at the woman at the, world, at the well. She needed validation or forgiveness of her past actions. Jesus says, go and call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. I have no husband. I've tried this marriage thing. I have no husband. There ain't no man standing over me. I don't have to answer to nobody. Jesus pointed out. That though she currently didn't have a husband, she had previously had five husbands and was currently with a man who wasn't her husband. He says, well, I got to hand it to you. You didn't lie. You, You spoke the truth. You don't have a husband. But I know you've had five husbands and you're currently with a man who's not your husband. This woman had a past. She tells Jesus, I have no husband. I don't have to call anybody. I've been through this trip. You have no idea how my journey's been. And we're not going to go into that. And he goes, oh, yeah, we are. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with is currently not your husband. This woman had a past. And you know what? She may have very well had her reasons for this past. She could probably tell you why she left each and every husband and why each and every husband needed to be left. And if she told you your, her story... You'd probably say, yeah, I can understand that. I, can, I, can, I, can, I get that. I understand that. I see where you're coming from. She had a past. And she had past actions. She had past sin. And she likely had her reasons. And to an extent, she probably sought justification. You ever go through a divorce? I have. Not, I haven't been divorced, but I saw both of my parents go through two apiece. I think that means I've been through one. Maybe I'm being selfish in that regard, but I've seen a divorce happen. I've seen my parents go through divorces while I was a kid. That's a tough situation. You think there's family issues involved in that? This lady has family issues, so she's got a past. She's got family issues. She's seeking some sort of validation for this, some sort of forgiveness, some sort of justification. This woman had come to the well To draw water. Why? Because she needed water. She didn't have anybody to draw the water for her. She couldn't pay a servant to do it. You find her at the well and for all that we know she's by herself. Which means she doesn't even have company or friends to go to the well with her. She's having social issues. She's having financial issues. She's got physical needs. She's in need here. Jesus tells her that he would give her living water. And she asked Jesus in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself. Y'all know who Jacob is, don't you? The Lord renamed him Israel, for whom the nation was named. You see, the Samaritans were outcast. They were outcast. They were seen as non-Jewish, less than human. These are bad dudes. And there's a long history for why the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. you got to remember the Samaritans are half Jewish, half Gentile. You say, oh, it's a racial thing. Not necessarily. The problem with the Samaritans 
was if you remember, as we've studied at this church, how Israel went into captivity for 70 years for their idolatry, not every Jew from the Holy Land was taken. Some were left behind. As they were left behind, other tribes were brought in by the Assyrians to resettle the land. Those who were left behind, they intermarried with the Gentiles that were brought in. When the Jews were released from Babylon 70 years later, they returned to the Holy Land and they began rebuilding Jerusalem. And you read about this in the book of Nehemiah. And what do you find in the book of Nehemiah? You have Sanballat and you have Tobiah. And they are trying to stop the rebuilding of the wall. They're trying to stop the rebuilding of the temple. There was some uh, physical combat confrontations taking place. And those wounds never really healed. Y'all say, that's stupid. Really? We do the same thing today. We fought the Civil War in the 1860s. We've, we've just now gotten finished calling each other Yankee and Johnny Reb. Back in the... Early 1990s, my grandfather took me on a vacation to Washington, D.C. to see our nation's capital. We got lost in Virginia. <laughs> and my grandfather stopped and asked for directions. And my grandfather's exact words were, Sir, can you direct me to our nation's capital? And that man at that gas station gave us directions to Richmond. No. I kid you not, and he wasn't kidding. This was 1992. We were 130 years removed from the Civil War. This guy had never known life under the Confederacy. But in his mind, the nation's capital was still in Richmond. Yeah, we still have those divisions. We, 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 we still, we, we still and in fact, we have an entire political industry dedicated to keeping us divided on our histories. Could have been. I have no idea. <laughs> apparently, apparently, this is this in the nineteen nineties. This was not an unusual mentality. So I'm just saying, if we can still have those divisions based on prior history in our country, you can see how, in a time when belief systems and cultures didn't change very quickly, they'd still have those divisions. So they're outcast. And when this woman says. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know Israel, the founder of your country that you call yourself after? Are you greater than him? Guess what? He gave us this well. He drank from this well. He gave it to his kids. They drank from this well. He fed his livestock out of this well. You think you're something? We got Jacob's well. What's she seeking? She's seeking validation of her culture. She's seeking validation that she is just as much entitled as those Jewish people. We're just as much entitled as the kingdom to the kingdom as you are. And then she's looking for validation of her beliefs. In verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place you ought to worship. Which is it? This mountain, Jerusalem, both. What's she looking for? She's looking for validation. So here you have this woman. Uh, we love to talk about her sinful past. As if she is somehow way more sinful than we are. But check this out. She's got some of the same issues. We all have a past. Mm -hmm. We all have a sinful past. Yeah. We all have family issues. We all have financial issues. We all have physical needs. 
We all need validation. We seek validation. We want to know that we believe the right thing and that we are on the right side of history. We seek that validation. Then this lady meets Jesus. Our gracious Lord and King who seeks and saves the lost. He seeks and saves the lost. Verse 4, here in chapter 4. He left Judea, departed again for Galilee. So Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. He's going to Galilee. And the Bible says in verse 4, if you're in the ESV, it says he had to pass through Samaria. That sounds fairly benign. If you're going to Stephenville, you have to pass through Blanket. No. No, the Bible's not giving us a map of directions here saying, okay, to get to here, you've got to go through here, because they didn't do that. The Jews would leave Jerusalem, cross over the Jordan River into hostile Arab territory, travel that dangerous route for 90 miles before crossing back over the river into Galilee, into Jewish territory. Now, Jesus, nobody went through Samaria. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria because that was the only road. I like the way the King James Version says it. And he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs. There is something driving Jesus into Samaria. He has to go there. This is something that he cannot get away from. Our Lord, driven by his mission and purpose of redeeming his people, was driven to go where no one else would go. Note that. He was driven to go where no one else would go in order to meet this woman to save her, to redeem her. And as we get farther into chapter 4 here, we're going to find that he saves and redeems the people there. He's, the Lord came to this earth to seek and save sinners. That was his mission. That was his purpose. That was the work that he completed on the cross, was to seek and save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15, For this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. He came to save sinners. Our Lord and Savior who meets this woman. He came to seek sinners. He came to save sinners. He came to redeem and to deliver sinners. That's who this woman meets. This woman does not meet a Jesus. Who is stopping for a rest stop. And is being inconvenienced. This woman has not met a Jesus who has ordered her to draw water because he's thirsty, he's better than her, and he's ordering this peasant to bring the king a glass of water. That's not the Jesus she meets. She meets the Jesus that went through Samaria for the sole purpose of intercepting her at that well. Amen. And that's the Lord that we serve. Amen. Our Lord has the sole purpose of seeking you out, intercepting you where you are, in your dark time, in your time of struggle, in your time of uncertainty, in your time of sin and rebellion, he is in the business of intercepting you in order to draw you to repentance. And when he draws you to repentance, he offers the living water. It's a profound statement that our Lord makes in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew who Jesus is, you knew the only begotten Son of God who is the indwelling of God himself who came to earth to dwell among us, you would seek him out. You would ask him. If you knew the gift he was giving, 
the gift he was offering, what he had to offer. You would quit worrying about the mortgage. You would quit worrying about your son's hair color. Just have to throw that in there, okay? Just bear with me here. You would, I don't worry about that. I don't lose any sleep after that. You quit worrying about if the Cowboys are going to win tomorrow. Okay, I'm being silly. I'm being silly. You quit worrying about, is it going to be okay? You quit worrying about the Democrats. You quit worrying about the Republicans. You quit worrying about everything going on. If you knew who Jesus was, you would look at your temporary problems, the finances, the leaky sink, the, the, the fence that's breaking down, the truck that's not r- running right, the insurance company is not paying the claim when they should. You would quit letting that consume your thoughts. If you knew what Jesus offered, you would set aside all these earthly issues and you would ask him for his gift. That's what Jesus is telling this woman. If you knew who I was and you knew what I was offering, you quit quibbling with me about this bucket of water. You wouldn't even be worried about the bucket of water here. By the way, when, she, when, he, get, when, she, when he reaches her, when she figures out who he is and plays her faith in him, she takes off running to get the rest of the town. Guess what she leaves behind? The bucket of water. All right? If you knew who Jesus was and what he offered, you would set aside all these earthly issues and you would ask for his gift. You would ask for his gift. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. Dr. S.M. Lockridge preached to us for 10 minutes that he's August. He's entirely sincere. He's perfect. He, ten minutes, he tells us all these attributes of Jesus and then tells us he wishes he could describe him for us. But he's indescribable. He's the one who will answer all things. The woman said that when Messiah is here, when he comes, when the Christ comes, he'll answer all these things. He'll tell us all these things. He'll straighten all this out. He is the one who will answer all these things. Why did it happen? Why did 9-11 happen? Why did the pandemic happen? Why did my uncle pass away? Uh, why did the stock market crash? Why did I do everything right and it didn't work out for me? Why, why, why? He will answer these things. He is the one who brings all the answers. Not only is he the one who brings all the answers, that is the explanation, but he's the one who brings all the answers in terms of what solves them. He is the one who will solve all things. He is the one who will redeem and rescue. He is the one who will restore. He is the one whom in this day in John chapter 4, all people were hoping for. Jesus goes through Samaria. The Samaritans were cast out of Jerusalem. They were not allowed to go down to the temple. They were not really welcome in society. If you were a Samaritan, you tried to get into the gates of Jerusalem. You had to deal with a lot of harassment because nobody wanted to see you there. Yet these Samaritans, being the outcasts that they are, are worshiping God in this mountain somehow. They don't really know how. They don't really know what. But they're doing something up there. And this woman at the well, despite all of how everything's messed up, is still looking for the Messiah. Is still looking for the Christ. Because he's going to be the one to fix everything. He's the one whom all people hope for. The pillar and the peasant. The pillar of the community. The man who's... Name is on the bank building, and they just named the library after him. And the peasant. That's the guy who's pouring the concrete to set the flagpole for the new bank building. All right? The pillar and the peasant. The religious and the sinner. The lawman and the outlaw. The prince and the outcast. They're all, in that day, looking for the Messiah. 
They had different ideas of who the Messiah would be. They had different expectations. Some of them were just plain wrong, but they're all looking for the Messiah. All of them. Yes. And Jesus says to this woman, I who speak to you am he. And that's when it snaps. Mm-hmm. She figures it out. And suddenly, this bucket of water is no longer an issue for her. Whether to worship in this mountain or down in Jerusalem is no longer an issue for her. The fact that he's a Jew is no longer an issue for her. It's all come together. And we see the answer. Jesus said, if you knew the gift that I offer, you wouldn't be worried about all these things. We worry too much. We worry too much about all these things. We're missing the answer. Jesus said in verse 14, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds nice. Take a drink of water and never need a drink of water again. Never have to work another day in my life to pay a bill again. I don't have to worry about the bank account balance no more. I don't have to worry about clocking in no more. That sounds like the life, doesn't it? That's not what Jesus is promising here. No. No. We're thirsty because we have not. Okay, I'm going to lay on y'all a very in-depth scientific truth. You know why you get thirsty? Because you don't have water. Whoa! When they ask you, what did you learn in church today? Like, I learned how we get thirsty. Because <laughs> we have no water. We get thirsty because we have not. And we have not because we look to temporary things, temporary earthly things to fill our needs. God asked in Isaiah 55, he says, everyone who thirsts, come, let him drink of the water and let him buy milk and wine of no price. I'm giving it to you for free. Why are you spending your money on that which satisfies not? You know, why are you eating bread that doesn't fill you? We're thirsty because we don't look to what it takes to quench the thirst. When you're thirsty, you need to drink water. You know what we drink? Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Dr. Pepper going to cure your thirst? No. Is it delightful? Yes. Am I allowed to drink it? Doctor says no. Okay? I think Dr. Reynolds is just upset that Dr. Pepper has a title too. I could be wrong. No. You know, so I drink Diet Pepsi. Brother Jimmy taught me that. Um, we're thirsty. We should drink water. Not Dr. Pepper, not Diet Pepsi, not even Gatorade. Water. Mm-hmm. And we're thirsty because we don't drink the water. That's right. The Dr. Peppers, you realize I'm speaking in metaphors here, right? Mm-hmm. The Dr. Pepper seems so much more pleasurable. We're thirsty because we look for temporary earthly things to fill our needs. To the woman, she's looking to fill her needs with this bucket of water. And to us, I can start naming things, but I'm not. Do you know what we look to to fill our needs, to meet our needs? We look to money. 
we look to currency. And that money and that currency is losing value every single day. When I was in seminary, one of my professors drew a dollar sign on the chalkboard. And he said to your average congregant, your average blue-collar American, this is not a symbol for money. This is a symbol for life. He works his life to earn that money. And when, he, when his son goes out on a date, and he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a $20 bill to give to his son for the date. He goes, here, son, take a little bit of my life and go out and have a time tonight. When he goes to the grocery store, he says, here's some of my life in exchange for some groceries to extend my life. When he goes to the football game, he says, here's a piece of my life to help me not think about my problems for the next couple of hours. To us, money and currency is what we often look to to solve our problems and to meet our needs. We look to jobs that provide that money, yet the job market is ever sifting and is ever shifting. Have you ever noticed that no matter how much money you have, it's never enough? You know, I mean, some of y'all have, have ridden the full roller coaster here. Some of y'all have been in places where you've had lots of money. And then you've been in places where you have no money. And what's the difference in the life then? The difference is when you're on top of that roller coaster hill and you've got lots of money, you just got more ways to distract yourself. Life is still the same down here when the bank account is empty. And that money loses value. Yeah. And that job changes. The job market changes. Careers that existed 100 years ago don't exist anymore, and careers that exist today will not exist 100 years from now. In my profession, in my secular profession, we know that there are going to be drastically fewer of us in the next 20 to 50 years than there are today. Just because technology is riding us off the page. They're still going to need some of us, just not a lot of us. It's changing. It's changing. But when we have the living water, we have Christ. Yes. When we have the living water, we have what we need, and he cares for us, and he provides for us. And he knows what we need, and we know that he will supply our needs. So whether or not there's water in Jacob's well, we know that we will not be thirsty. Whether or not there's money in the bank, we know that we will not go hungry. Whether or not there's a job offer, we know that we will have what we need. And we know this because the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's that wellspring of water springing up within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us because we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Therefore, we know that he cares for us, that he will take care of us, that we will have what we need. And whether that means that he's going to bless us with riches, that does happen. That's not why we come to the faith, but it does happen. We know that we'll have what we need. And if you have that wellspring of living water within you springing forth, you can use those riches to bless others and to further the gospel. Amen. And maybe that's not the case. Which 99% of the time that's not the case. And when it's not the case, we know that when the bank account runs dry, he is still with us and we can still be a blessing to others. Right. We don't need a million dollar bank balance in order to spread the gospel throughout the world. We don't need $10,000 in the bank to be a blessing to others and to experience the fullness of the Lord. We can do it with there being zero money in the church account and we can do it with there being zero money in our, in our personal accounts. We know that the Lord will provide our needs and that we can still be a blessing to others and a light for his gospel. 
The answer is Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Messiah, our King, our Redeemer, our Deliverer. We need to learn to accept his free gift and to trust him. And when we do, everything else falls into place. There are Christians in China right now enduring untold persecution who pray for us and who mourn for us because we do not experience the fullness of God like they do. Y'all know that? Any of y'all want to trade places with them? No. Not a single one of y'all wants to sign up and go to a communist country where you'll be thrown into a gulag for your beliefs, for trusting in the Lord. Not a single one of y'all wants to move to a country where they will harvest your organs while you're still alive because you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not a single one of you want to trade places with them. But you know what? They're praying for you that you would experience the fullness of the Lord as they are experiencing Not a single one of us wants to go to Africa where we're routinely slaughtered. Yet the African Christians are praying for America that we'll experience a revival so that we can experience the power of the Lord like they do. How wild is that? Ghana wants to send missionaries to the United States to remind us what the faith is all about. How? Just take that in for a moment. Why is that? Because even when the worst possible things are happening to them, they trust Jesus. Amen. And one of the hardest things to do for us is to trust Jesus. We believe Jesus saved our souls. We believe he died on the cross for our sins. The hard part is trusting him beyond that. Jesus died for my sins, but I still have bills. So we don't necessarily want to trust him for all that. We want to trust him to save our souls, but we still believe it's up to us to pay the bills. If you were here Wednesday night, you learned about Jeroboam. God promised him the kingdom. Jeroboam still felt like he had to protect the kingdom under his own power. And when you're having to work under your own power and you're trying to work under your own power, guess what? You're doing it the hard way and you're doing it the wrong way. When I worked at interim health care as a hospice chaplain, we had our director of health care services tell us, He says the reason, telling us and telling the nurses and telling the CNAs and the entire staff, the reason y'all are burned out and worn out is because you're trying to do this under your own power. Y'all need to start trusting the Lord and doing this under his power and talk to our chaplain over here. And I'm like, yeah, I need to start doing this under the Lord's power too. (laughs) It's like this is kind of convicting to me too. One of the hardest things to do is learn how to trust Jesus. To learn to trust him in the face of inflation. To learn to trust him in the face of war in the face of economic depression, in the face of unemployment, in the face of nobody's calling me to offer me work right now, in in the face of career change and career turnover and turmoil and family problems and political problems and cities burning and Chinese on the march and and the Russians invading Ukraine and everywhere else on the planet. we got to learn to trust Jesus in all this because we know that God has an overall plan. We know he's bringing the plan to completion. And if you learn to keep your faith in the Lord, even when everything is falling around you, then you will have that wellspring of water. You will not be thirsty. You may not have water in your well, but you are not feeling the pains of thirst. And you are trusting everything that the Lord will work everything out to his honor and his glory. It's often said, I've read the end of the book, And I know how it ends. 
yet we often live as if the book is a choose-your-own-adventure and we're worried that whoever's reading this book will choose the wrong option and go to page 33 instead of page 250. <laughs> did, did that get past anybody? We've read the end of the book. The Lord wins. His kingdom is established forever. We live in his glory and his peace and his prosperity forever. Yet oftentimes we still live as if there's an alternate ending. There is no alternate ending. You know the Lord is your Savior. You're going to the right place. I don't look forward to a day in which the United States is a prosperous country again. We are a prosperous country. Don't let me mislead you on that. But I don't look forward to a day when the United States elects the right people. When we put down our threats and when we live in peace and prosperity of some time before, whatever that time before for you was, 1950s, 1980s, 1990s, I don't look forward to a day that we, re that we get back there. Because I know that the day that is coming, the day of the Lord, will be a day that will put America's best days to shame. And that's what we need to look forward to. Trust the Lord for salvation, but in all other things, realize the gift that he offers. Set your bucket down, receive that gift, be transformed, and then run into town to tell everybody else. Amen. Let's stand.